Welcome to your found family podcast where we don't just have a heart to heart, we connect soul to soul. I'm your host, Lizzie, a certified coaching practitioner who found family outside of blood family. In our found family, you are accepted and assured that you are not alone. Subscribe and tune in for educational and empowering soul chats with women from all over the world, talking about well-being, personal growth and development, and mental and emotional health. Step four, revalue. This step talks about the lessons learned from OCD. Revaluing means not taking your symptoms at face value because they don't mean what they say. And we're able to really see them for what they are, which as we've talked about in previous steps and a recap is that step one is to relabel, step two is to reattribute, and step three is to refocus. We have learned the truth that our brains are locked and that our brains are sending false messages that feel and seem to be very real, but they're not. So in step four, it's closing the loop on all of these steps so far to really, really strengthen and cement in our brains how we can overcome and how we can free ourselves from obsessive compulsive disorder. And before we go deeper into more of the facts and what the actual steps are as part of the revalue step, I do want to do my usual disclaimer for this book club that 95% of the quotes that I am sharing in this podcast are not my quotes. They are direct quotes that are coming from a book called Brainlock, a four-step self-treatment method to change your brain chemistry, free yourself from obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, free yourself from obsessive compulsive behavior by Jeffrey M. Schwartz, MD with Beverly Bayett. So I will, as previous, add in my own commentary based on my own experiences living with OCD, but the primary context is all coming from the book. And again, this is for the purpose of doing a podcast version of a book club with you guys. And there are so many incredible facts and different examples from people who have gone to the UCLA and gone through these four steps that I want to do the book justice by quoting it directly so that you can really learn firsthand from the experts and from the people who've gone through these four steps. So the book says that you will come to realize that your obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviors are worthless distractions to be ignored. And this was a very empowering and comforting fact to learn because, again, revaluing means to not take your symptoms at face value because your obsessive compulsive behaviors are worthless distractions and they should be ignored because they are false messages. The book says that people who suffer from OCD feel a pain so great that they reach deep into their souls and seek an answer to the question, why me? Too often, they wind up thinking, what a terrible person I must be for having such bad thoughts. Can you relate to this? I know that I did, for sure. I mean, I asked myself the question, why me, every single day. And because I suffered 
very, very much suffered from scrupulosity, which again is a subset of OCD based on religious obsessive compulsive um, ruminations, uh, thoughts and behaviors. You know, anytime that there was a blasphemous thought that ran through my head, if I had some type of, you know, sexual image cross my mind about like a, I don't know, spiritual figure, or if there was something horrible that happened to someone, or if I saw something horrible happening in my mind, it felt real. And I kept thinking like, oh my God, how could someone like me, someone who at the time I was like waiting until marriage, didn't swear, didn't watch, you know, any type of like provocative TV, nothing. It was like, I was still watching Hannah Montana and living under a rock. Like all of my friends know firsthand that I was like one of the most naive, most, you know, innocent people. And yet I was having these like horrible blasphemy type of thoughts. And I just kept wondering like, well, holy shit, like I must be this horrible person for having these horrible, horrible thoughts. The book says that if you do not actively revalue these thoughts as nothing more than false messages coming from your brain, messages with no spiritual significance whatsoever, you will certainly become demoralized and filled with self-loathing. Boom. Mic drop. Like, how profound is that sentence? This is why I'm reading from the book, you guys. That is exactly how I felt, and how I was feeling. It's incredible to be able to go inside the minds of other people who suffer from OCD and to see firsthand that what they think, what they thought, is not too different from what we think. And this really, again, goes to show that you're not alone. I'm not alone. You're not alone. Our brains are locked and they are sending false messages to our brain. So this self-loathing, as horrible as it is to like say, is a very, very common denominator for people who live with OCD. It is definitely like a mental illness where people second guess themselves and there is lots of guilt, lots of shame, and lots of self-loathing. I hated my thoughts and because I hated my thoughts, I thought that I hated me. I thought that my thoughts were a direct reflection of the person that I am. My essence, this beautiful, hippie, loving spirit, free spirit girl who like doesn't even want to, you know, hurt a fly. I hated myself. And that's really hard to admit, especially because people in my life who know me to be this very caring, empathetic, sensitive, like loving person I'm sure it's not even easy for people in my life to hear this, but this is the truth. I hated myself. I didn't want to spend time alone because I didn't like to be with my thoughts because they were so negative. And every time I had a negative thought, I would just feel more guilty and I would feel more horrible and more angry and more fearful. And so the rumination increased And the obsessions increased. All the behaviors that I was doing, all of the attempts of praying the right way and just enough times and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it was exhausting. Like I was, I'm, I'm still mentally exhausted talking about it because it was just a never ending cycle. This loop in my head, this like 
broken record of beating myself up. I mean, it's literally, if you think about like the metaphor of a boxing match, it's like I didn't even have an opponent. I mean, yes, of course, the opponent now I know the opponent is OCD. However, back then when I didn't know my brain was locked, when I didn't know these were false messages, I thought I was battling myself. And I kept punching myself in the face and kicking myself in the chin and like sucker punching myself in the stomach every day. And so this was such a profound truth to hear this next part. The key is to realize that the thought is happening in spite of your will, not because of it. And this reminds me of the intro to Found Family Podcast where I talk about how People who live with a mental illness are showing up for themselves every single day and fighting despite what life throws at them. And that's exactly what this is saying right here. The key is to realize that the thought is happening in spite of your will and not because of it. So I really hope that this is giving you as much hope as it's, as it's been giving me and like opening up your third eye even wider Because this self-awareness, this mindful awareness of being able to look into our minds, like we're literally, this book is taking a big magnifying glass and looking into every single corner of your brain, analyzing it for you and helping you understand why you think the way that you think, why you behave the way you behave, why your reactions are the way that they are, and then how to help yourself. The second part of what the book says that the blasphemous thoughts, and it's interesting that they say blasphemous thoughts, so it does seem like scrupulosity is a common denominator or like a common, um, you know, thing that people suffer with. So the blasphemous thoughts are nothing more than the reflection of a disease, not a reflection of your spiritual purity or integrity. Again, boom, like in the best way, I'm like, oh, yes, like this is not a reflection of my spiritual purity. And I knew, see, like deep down, I knew that my thoughts were not me. Just as I'm sure that you know deep down your thoughts are not you. You know that like something is off, but you haven't been able to put your finger on it. You are just desperately trying to figure it out, but you weren't figuring it out because people around you don't understand or maybe articles that you're reading if they're not OCD focused don't fully understand what it is that you're going through and the book even says I didn't write down the exact quote but the book alludes to the fact that even some doctors like don't fully understand OCD so it's important to surround yourselves with the right the most factual resources and references that are about like basically you know things that specialists in OCD can can talk to you about. This was, again, I mean, huge. And it says here, the key is to develop the capacity to work around these obsessive thoughts. So in other steps, this key principle of working around your obsessive thoughts has been brought up before. So if you haven't yet listened to steps one through three, Definitely want to encourage you to backtrack and then revisit this to understand a little bit deeper about what I mean by working around your obsessive thoughts. The practice of the first three steps gradually removes the fear and anxiety that OCD causes when its false messages are taken literally at face value. So again, this book does repeat itself quite a bit. 
which can sometimes be a little bit frustrating. But then again, as someone who lives with OCD and I need to get my, you know, like my my rumination is like, did I understand that correctly? Did, did that make sense? Like sometimes it is comforting knowing that the same concept has been repeated just to make sure that you really get it. Um, so this was kind of brought up before, but I wanted to mention it again because there's two components here, fear and anxiety, right? These two things contribute to OCD and fuels it. In earlier steps, they talked about like this monster, right? And it's like, we're basically feeding it. The more that we give in to our ruminations and the more that we give in to our compulsions, we're literally increasing the level of fear and anxiety, which is in turn going to increase the amount of times that you will want to do your compulsions. So when we revalue, again, we're reminding ourselves that they're false messages and we have to literally take them at face value. By following these steps, you're changing how your brain works by changing your behavior and you're getting back the control in your life. A powerful mind is a mind that can take note of subtle change and understand the implications of them. And there's some really incredibly powerful sentences that I will share at the end of this, but just keep that thought at the forefront for just a minute. Years of practicing OCD rituals appear to create skills that increase their powers of observation and memory in ways that can be highly adaptive. And with time, you will learn to go onto the next thought or behavior, even though the obsessive thought is still there. And again, these thoughts, these facts were brought up in previous steps, which really does give us an idea that, you know, this is going to require effort. This is going to require work. And that's not to discourage you or make you feel overwhelmed. It's really an incredible journey that you're taking with your mind. And you're building up this resilience that you already have. Like, listen, I said this in the last episode. People who suffer from OCD are among the strongest because we are literally challenging our thoughts every single day. This whole like coronavirus pandemic thing that's going on right now, it's like people who live with OCD are already so equipped with mental tools of using our impartial spectator and like being able to really look from the outside in and challenge our thoughts and like change our behaviors. And like we're really strong people, okay? You are stronger than you realize. You're stronger than you know. A powerful mind is a mind that can take note of subtle change and understand the implications of them. Do you realize, like, do you really realize that because of your OCD, you are taking note of subtle changes and you are understanding the implications of them? And it's true that with years of OCD rituals, we are literally creating skills that increase our powers of observation and memory. A lot of people don't have the same kind of introspection and awareness that we do. And with time, as the book says, we will learn, you will learn to go on to the next thought or behavior, even though the obsessive thought is still there. So that's the other aspect of what I want to share. This is not going to happen overnight. We will and you will be asked by your own self to go through these four steps a lot. But rest assured, 
there was probably six or seven people who've been going to the UCLA and doing the four steps over and over and over again and practicing it and strengthening their mind and building this resilience. And they have proven that with time, you will learn to go to the next thought. Even though the obsessive thought is still there, you learn how to work around it. And that is what you need to remember. That is the, that is the message that needs to stay in your mind is that it is proven to work with time and practice. Other people with OCD, as the book says, do, however, use their medical condition as a convenient way to excuse their shortcomings or to rationalize behaviors that are essentially self-destructive. And these are what they call secondary gains. So with all of this knowledge that's really just giving you more and more power, remember that if you do feel a sense of attachment to the secondary gain, because sometimes, and let's be honest with ourselves, sometimes it is a little bit easier to blame it on your OCD. Just like that song, like blame it on the alcohol, right? Like I think sometimes, yeah, and that was like a really, really lame way of trying to rap. I can't do that, whatever. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. It's like it is easier to point fingers and blame on something. And I think that when... There is a reason to say, well, I don't want to do this or I can't do this. We do lean towards like a secondary gain and think, okay, well, that's really great and all like with time, I'm going to learn how to do this. But what if it doesn't work? What if I can't do it? What if this, you know, healing and recovery thing is like for someone else, but not for me? I mean, we're at step four at this point. So I'm just going to like, call you out or call whoever out and say that maybe, maybe, I'm not saying you definitely thought this, but like maybe there was a little bit of that self-doubt. Maybe there was a little bit of that questioning, like, can I really recover? And listen, if you did think that, again, there's nothing wrong with you. Trust me, even when I was working through the four steps, not knowing that I was working through the four steps, it was before I discovered this book, but when I was working through the scrupulosity and I was working through the emetophobia, there were definitely times where I was like, what if I relapse? Like, what if I really just want the secondary gain of it? Sometimes, and the book says this too, that like people get so used to their OCD that it's like when you start to recover, you almost miss it because it's like this thing, this weird, almost like a friend that's just been with you forever. And it's this sense of certainty. It's a sense of comfort because it's all that you've ever known. Some of us have been living with OCD since elementary school. So really, especially for me, it's something that I've been living with since I was like six or seven. And there is this very human, very like normal thought at first to think, well, you know what? Like, I don't know, maybe this isn't possible for me or like maybe I don't know how to live without OCD. And so if you are thinking that, if there is any thought that crossed your mind, I just want to like diffuse that right now because again remember that as you work with these four steps you will improve your OCD and your comfort with responsibility will also increase there was a woman who was like very very honest that she was like more than capable to do her job more than capable let me actually see if I can find the page and she was very honest with us yeah, here it is on page 106. This woman 
who was living with OCD, said, although it's hard to admit I can take jobs beneath my capabilities and blame it on my OCD, it also enables me not to take risks. Of course, these are self-esteem issues, not OCD issues. I have to watch that because I can't use OCD as an excuse my entire life. And it says, but Barbara has always had self-esteem problems that, um, wait, but Barbara has always had a self-esteem problem that she believes has nothing to do with her OCD. She says, I know I'm smart, I'm competent, yada, yada, yada. I used anxiety as an excuse. And then it's, you know, it says here, it's worth noting, however, that as her work with the four steps has improved her OCD, her level of comfort with responsibility has also increased. So that could also be it too, a fear of responsibility, which in turn could be because of a self-loathing and a lack of self-confidence, which again, I personally see and believe again, based on my own personal experience and what I'm learning from this book, is that this is a very, very normal thing to experience. Like people who live with OCD, this is, you know, a mental disorder that involves self-doubt and second guessing yourself all the time questioning. Like, is this right? Is this wrong? We try desperately to, to get control over something. And this is just tough love. And I hope you know that it's tough love because I love you guys and because I love myself. And because I know that recovery is possible because I have already seen it and experienced it in my life and I know it's possible for you. So I feel like I need to come on here and just share this tough love because now I'm like all of my personal experiences have just been like reaffirmed by this book, like backed with science and facts and like other people who've gone through the same things. So just remember that, again, if you're feeling the sense of attachment to a secondary gain because you're afraid of commitments or you don't feel like you have self-confidence, working through these four steps, you will improve your OCD and your level of comfort with responsibility will also increase. When you revalue and devalue unwanted thoughts and urges, you are strengthening your impartial spectator and building a powerful mind. So here's where I wanted to really emphasize this bullet because this is like my favorite part of the whole book. A powerful mind can change the brain by altering responses to the message the brain sends. This is true self-command. It results in real self-esteem. I have been on a quest for the last three years to try and figure out like a common denominator life lesson that I've learned once I broke free from scrupulosity and I wasn't able to put my finger on it. And this is it. I was able to begin self-command and self-mastery. And that is fucking amazing. And I'm so proud of myself and I'm so proud of you for being on this journey, even though it's scary and you want to close your eyes and run under the bed and hide, you're showing up for yourself and you're building a powerful mind. You are changing your brain chemistry. That is amazing. This is true self-command and it results in real self-esteem. So one incredibly powerful reframe that I want to share with you guys on how we can see our OCD as a good thing and what good it has brought, there's someone in the book named Laura, and she put it this way, quote, having OCD has made me a more intense, sensitive, and compassionate human being. I have been humbled by my disorder. It has built character even while tearing at my soul, my heart, and my self-esteem. It has enabled me to fight harder, to strive for the good 
and the truth inside of me. It has made me a less critical and judgmental of others who suffer in their lives. Wow. Like, wow, 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 wow. That is so empowering and so true. And I saw myself in Lara's story because, again, even though I hated myself, I was self-loathing every single day, and I felt like OCD was tearing out my soul, my heart, and my self-esteem, it did make me a more sensitive and compassionate person, and it did build character. I am resilient. I'm a fighter. I know, like, what I'm capable of more than I've ever known in my entire life because breaking free from the bondage that I was keeping myself in was one of the most life-changing experiences. And I did it for two different types of subsets of OCD that I was really battling with. Again, emetophobia, fear of throwing up, and scrupulosity, the OCD associated with religion. Recovery is possible. I say this on the Found Family Podcast Twitter account. You are not alone and recovery is possible. And that is like the resounding message across all of the different episodes, period, end of story. So how do you revalue? There's what I comprised into, compiled into like a list of five. The first is to realize that your obsessive thoughts and compulsive urges are not important and that you can deal with them. You're in a sense devaluing those silly thoughts. We've talked about this before. So just revalue is to realize that your obsessive thoughts are not important. The second is two subsets of revaluing, which is anticipation and acceptance. Anticipate that the obsessive thought will occur hundreds of times a day and do not be surprised by them, even if they are violent and extremely upsetting. And accept that your problem is a treatable medical condition. Accept that it exists despite yourself, not because of yourself. Number three, use progressive time delays that gradually increase longer than 15 minutes by breaking the task into manageable bits, reassessing the situation while you're still anxious. As you note each decrease in your anxieties and urges, record which anxiety caused the anxiety to decrease. This sign of progress will strengthen your resolve to persevere. You will see that you are actively helping yourself, aka being your own therapist. Number four, practice. I mentioned this before. There is an overstressing in this book about the importance of learning to make self-supportive statements as a regular part of doing the four steps. The more time that you don't give in and find out that nothing happens when you do the compulsion or like if you don't do the compulsion, the more time that you don't give in and you're finding out that by not giving in, nothing happens, it will get easier the next time around. You'll eventually, as someone named Jack in the book shares, Begin to have a history of incidents in which nothing really happens when you ignore the obsession. And number five, this revalue mindset shift from victim to victor. As Karen in the book says, get a loving buddy, a friend, or a family member to help you and encourage you. Get your life back. Your future is in your hands now. And that's a really... Again, comforting and empowering truth 
that I want to leave you guys with. Get your life back. Your future is in your hands now. This is something that you can control. Despite this fear and uncertainty of not knowing what you can and can't control, now you know that you can't control the thoughts that are coming in because they're false messages from the brain, but you can control your behavior. And by changing your behavior, you are changing your brain chemistry, which will in turn change the way that your brain functions, will unlock your brain, and will help you to recover. So as a recap, relabeling, tell yourself, it's all right, it's just the OCD. Reattribute, by reattributing it to a brain glitch, which is what's happening. Refocus on a constructive, enjoyable behavior. And revalue. Revalue the meaning of your thoughts and urges. You got this. I believe in you. I'm here for you. You're not alone and recovery is possible. Reach out to me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, wherever you feel most comfortable. Again, I'm here to help you in this recovery and freeing yourself from obsessive compulsive behavior. I really hope that this series, this book club series was helpful for you. And I do, again, want to encourage you to go and buy this book, Brain Lock, Free Yourself from Obsessive Compulsive Behavior, a four-step self-treatment method to change your brain chemistry. Ah, okay. Taking a deep breath. I hope that you are too. I'm glad that this was like a fairly short. (laughs) I thought this was going to be a little bit longer than 30 minutes. So now I'm just stalling because I'm getting separation anxiety, you guys. That's been such a great topic to talk about. Um, Amazing. So yes, you got this. Your life is in your hands now. Your future is in your hands. You got this. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and tune in next week for a new topic. To help spread the good vibes, please share this episode with friends and family. Or if you share on social, be sure to tag me at Coach Lizzie.